to Draycott Diaries. Today, we have the absolute joy of listening to Margie Cooper. Now, Margie is one of the principal specialists on the BBC Antiques Roadshow and most recently BBC Antiques Road Trip. Margie and I worked together for over 10 years on the Roadshow. I was the event manager. She was one of the very, very key specialists. So it's quite interesting, this conversation, because we are looking at it from two rather different perspectives. Margie, fame of Antiques Roadshow and Antiques Road Trip, welcome to Draycott Diaries. Oh, thank you for asking me, Tegan. It's lovely to be in touch again. If memory serves, you have been on the BBC's Antiques Roadshow for 40 years, is that right? Yeah, I actually found the letter from the, the first producer inviting me along, and it was 1981. So it's coming up 40 years. Where did those years go? And what a fantastic journey it's been. It really has. It's honestly, I just can't tell you how, how what a wonderful programme to be involved in, as you know. I mean, it was a brilliant idea back in the, in, in the late 70s. And, and, of course, the person who put it on the map was Arthur Negus. If you remember Arthur Negus, the Gloucestershire auctioneer who came onto the programme and everybody just fell in love with him. And from then on, the, the programme has just gained in, in... It's just part of Sunday evening viewing, isn't it? And it's amazing because 40 years, it's had four producers, which isn't many, is it? Four producers over... Because people move around in the BBC. They like to change change uh, the, the varying subjects that they're working on and only five presenters so I've seen them all come and go and I've seen so many stories but the, the, the most annoying thing that I, I have done is that I never kept a diary and I mean the, the stories and the fun and the adventures we got up to we started in the sports halls sports centers because they really worked for the public massive amount of public I mean it's an unrehearsed spontaneous and an informal program it is just it's like uh, sending an invitation out to the public not knowing how many people are going to come and people are coming with bags and wheelchairs and all sorts of situations so sports centers were great but then of course one producer decided that this wasn't a very great place to have a have an antique show so then they started to go to these wonderful stately homes and so Again, then the programme then took on a completely different uh, picture. So, yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic. My job is sort of front of house expert, where we vet and evaluate that stream of people that you see on the television. And we distribute to our colleagues who specialise in their particular areas. And we're also cherry picking so we can fast track for booking in for filming because the, you know, they're all day. An item can be seen at 10 o'clock in the morning and it's not actually filmed until like two o'clock in the afternoon. So we, we try to cherry pick the really, really fabulous thing. They just sometimes people just go around the house and just sh- swipe everything off the mantelpiece, <laughs> wrap it in paper and bring it. I'm just sitting here already going back. I came down, I joined in 2000 and eight with Fiona Bruce and of course I'm totally responsible for the viewing figures going through the roof 
But you're a very efficient defense manager with lots of humor and lots of efficiency. So there you go, Tiggy. Is that my one bit of praise? It's your praise from me today, this morning. <laughs> Let's just go back a bit because I want to make it clear for our listeners. First of all, I just want to revisit the presenters. There have been, since it began, five presenters. Can you just run me through who those were? Uh, before my time, a chap called Bruce Parker. And then Angela Rippon came, came aboard. Didn't stay long. And then... We got Hugh Scully. We got Hugh Scully, who's such a great guy. He stayed for years, about 15 years. He's interested in antiques, so he was a perfect presenter. And then we have the lovely Michael Aspel, who a delightful man. And now we've got Fiona. So, and she's been about 12 years, well, like, like, like you, about 12 years. And she's loved it. She's really enjoyed it. So, yeah, the five in, in, in 40 years, it's, it's not many, is it? Because people love it. They love doing it. But, Margie, I want to just give everybody a little bit more of a guideline about how we actually operate the show. We set it up in a day and then we record the next day. And as you said, everybody's streamlined to yourselves and cherry picked and then go to various specific specialists. But just going back a bit. The week before, which you're very much involved in, there is something called the furniture round. People always say to me, how come people aren't wandering around the show with wardrobes on their backs? Because you feature large pieces of furniture. So perhaps you could enlighten us a little bit more about that. Yes. A few years after I began, about 1990, I was asked to do the furniture round. We record usually on a Thursday. So the Friday before... I would go out, an expert goes out with a TV director, the two of us, armed with all the letters and all the information that's come into the BBC Bristol with people who've got wardrobes, sculptures, bronzes, things that they really can't can't bring in. So we actually go and tell on the area and we sit and we sift through it all. And this is the day before, these are the days before the mobile phone. So we would make appointments to go to the house. We'd try and get 10 or 15 visits every day. Such hard work. And then we decide what we what should come in. And the beauty of it is they would often to get you in. The picture would be hopeless. It would be a little boring little cabinet. And I think, well, should I go to that? Because we would always say to people, look, we're not coming, but here's a here's a, a ticket to say you're in, you're in without queuing, just come and bring the picture. So that's how it works. So I'd sometimes would go along and you'd get in the house and they'd have some superb piece or a lovely piece of china or ceramic. And, and so you'd just say to them, ah, can you bring that in on the day? Don't say anything, don't say, don't, don't, don't tell, give them any information. And so we used to find so many things. And then the day before, we'd go out with Pickford's removal van. There are other removal companies that you can use. So I used to get in the front of the van, bacon butties, cups of tea, great, and pull up at the houses. Then, now this is the tricky bit, you had to check what you were taking in. Because if you've lived with something for 30 or 40 years, when it comes back into your house after it's left, there's a little chip on the leg. You think, hang on a minute. I don't remember that chip being there. But it was there because we look after everything and packed everything. So that was important. The, the, The item went back into the house, how it left it. So that was important. And so, yeah, and then we would have a meeting the night before and the specialist say, oh, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that. And that's how it worked. So big paintings, sculptures, wardrobes, everything. Big, big, hefty things. So that's called the furniture run. 
So, but it's never discussed, you know, we just bring it in, we don't discuss anything because we want that, you know, response on the day, don't we? And it's a genuine response. It is. Margie, I just wanted to also get back on that. My responsibility was kind of getting everybody safely to the right place at the right time, one of the jobs I did. But when we had 6,000 people arriving, especially early in the morning, and even when we got there at seven, there would be a huge queue. We had to have something to record with, didn't we? Because it really is, we don't cheat. We do what it says on the tin. We wait until we get an item in, but we've got five television crews there waiting to record. So if memory serves on that furniture round, as well as the big stuff, you might look for a smaller piece of ceramic or glass or even some jewellery that at least we can start filming with. Is that, my, is that right? Yeah, you've cracked off straight away. We, we, we had something to, to start with, you know, rather than waiting for the queue and waiting for the, the specialist to say. So, yeah, it was a great way because, I mean, all the camera crews, they finish it. There's a certain time, isn't there? Is it a union? They finish. They have to finish at 7 o'clock. So we've got to try and get as much as we can in. So the furniture is so valuable. And also you can get a feeling of what the programme was going to be like. It, 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 was, it was great. It really was. Excitement. Terrific. It was, it was, and I think overwhelming sometimes for these. I mean, we talked, didn't we, yesterday about how, you know, up to 6,000 people would stand in 30 degrees or thunderstorms or rain. Then if they go to record, which was less than 5% of the people that came in, they, they were just wonderful. And then, we, then if we did record with them, then we would throw them into this system, didn't we? And they'd go to a waiting room where they were made up and briefed. And I mean... It must be, as a contributor, absolutely overwhelming because the roadshow, we kept forgetting, didn't we? We were having such fun, such a laugh, working so hard. Every now and then we would stop, wouldn't we? Go, goodness me, we are making the biggest programme on BBC. But it didn't feel like that. And we had to remember when we were loving and looking after our contributors and the public that, that it was overwhelming for them. Well, that's why sometimes the person doesn't react like they should. Because they're overwhelmed. Sometimes they'll say, and it's worth £10,000. And they go, oh, right, right, right. And, and you think, oh, cracky. And then the expert will say, say to me afterwards, oh, crack, I didn't get much reaction. Because they're, they're overwhelmed. They're surrounded by cameras. You know, they've had their noses powdered. They've had a free butty. <laughs> they met Fiona Bruce. Yeah, met Fiona Bruce. And just got involved. And the other thing that I've always found interesting, that people made friends in those queues. They make friends and say goodbye to each other. Once we'd finished looking at their stuff, they'd say, bye, have a, lovely to meet you. Hope you have a really good day. <laughs> ah, great stuff. It is true. I have to say, Margie, there, while you were at the front doing all the nice stuff, you get what we call jumpers. And they would sort of mysteriously arrive near the front of the queue. Then we'd have people faking illnesses. People wanting to meet Fiona Bruce would do all sorts of things. Really? Oh, man, you, you, you were at the pointed end there. Yeah, you were just doing all the flash stuff. Talking about the flash stuff, Margie, tell us about big finds. That's what everybody wants to know. Tell us about some big finds. Big finds. Well, I think they've pretty been well recorded, haven't they? I, me I remember uh, we, we, we got this watch that came in late, uh, end, end of day, we're all a bit tired, and this watch came in and it went to Simon Bull, who was the watch expert then, a very, very knowledgeable chap, and he turned the watch over and it said, T, is it T or T.S. Shaw, Clouds Hill, Dorset. And he, that, 
that rang a bell, but he wasn't sure. So he went over to Roy, they all interact, the specialists, they interact. So he went over to Roy Butler, who was the arms and military chap. And of course it was Lawrence of Arabia's watch. The guy painted up 20 years before in a, on a, on a, on a stall in a market in South Wales. Yeah, he lived in Dorset, didn't he? Lawrence of Arabia. And he'd been killed on a motorbike accident in the 1930s. Anyhow, so they, they sort of conservatively valued it at about 10,000, but I think it went for 34,000 because, I mean, what a treasure. And it had a, it had a, a repair bill with it. So maybe Lawrence had left it and never went to pick it up. You know, you don't know, do you? Well, that was a wonderful moment, I remember. Because, of course, you know, we don't do all the programmes. We, we, we do so many. So sometimes a find can be and you, you haven't been there. I mean, remember the lady in Liverpool, very well recorded. She had a wine pot that looked like a teapot on top of her council house kitchen cupboards. Lovely lady, lots of personality, saw David Bassey. And it turned out to be some Thomas Weald and wonderful pot, wonderful thing. Uh, she'd had it for years, given to her by her mother. It's years ago now. It, it, it fetched £10,000 and she was able to buy her council house. I never knew that. But the problem is, though, Margie, I would get, for example, Oxford gentleman comes on the bus with a painting. He thinks it's worth about 20 to £100. Pounds. Comes along, it's worth £200,000. Pounds. What happened, Margie, was that it was recorded. So he faints, so I've got a medical emergency. And then all the people are watching, and there are hundreds, you know, remembering it's unticketed, anybody could come in. I don't know who's watching it. So I've then got a real situation on my hands because I have to get this guy home safely with his artefact, which he now knows is worth, you know, bar de bar. So he went home with a police escort, literally. I mean, we organised that night. People always say to me, what do you do when that happens? We're going to move on now, Margie, because... I want to ask you a little bit now, first of all, you still do the Antiques Roadshow. I mean, 40 years is still continuing. Could you explain to our listeners, tell us how, tell us the premise of the road trip and how you make it. When I actually saw the first series and I thought, oh, this, is, this can't work because you're buying retail and then you're, and you're selling wholesale. It should be the other way around. You should be buying in the auctions and selling privately but you're not you're going into an shoot shop but the whole thing is somebody thought of this brilliant idea of having these classic cars and that i i honestly wasn't sure it was going to be a successful program but it has been they, they picked the right sort of experts who've become quite friendly you know people have under very very nice people and the, the, the public have warmed to them so you've got the, the lovely countryside we shoot it in the summer you've got the lovely cars that have their problems and you've got the banter between the two people. And the whole thing, the actual who wins and who loses, you get £200 each, and, and that's the format. The format on paper doesn't look as though it would work, but it has. And it said so, people sit in, in the autumn and sit and, 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 and watch this. They see the fun, the, the, the lovely weather, the blue sky. We have a drone going over, taking beautiful pictures, the cars people remember. And yeah, it's just become like a little mini antiques roadshow. It's very, very popular. It's been great. It's lovely. So Margie, just to refresh my memory, I was watching it the other night. You get a certain amount of money. You're driving along in a, in a classic car or vintage car. You go to various retail shops across the country, try and get as much as you can for your money, go to an auction house, 
try and get as much back as you can, maybe a profit. And then where does the profit go? Children in need. You know, sometimes we don't make a profit. I'm very good at not making a profit. <laughs> so it's for the charity, really. But it's uh, it's great. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's reasonably cheap to make, really. There's nine of us, nine of us on the road. You've got the man who looks after the car because, you know, they are loaned from people. So that they have to be you know, somebody who knows what they're talking about because they do break down. And then you've got each competitor, me and my opponent, and they've got a little team of three people. And we have a, one of these old, these big firm people carriers each. And we don't really see much of each other. We're, we're together in the morning in the car. The car's very, very important to, to, to the programme. So they take us around a long route to the shop. People say to me, I'm sure there must be a good way to get to the yeah, you never go on the motorway, do you? And the sun's just rising because we're up at seven. And so, oh, flipping it. all right, so go around and go away to get because it, it, it just gives that feel good feeling, really does. And then we do three shops, three buying visits, and then we make a visit to an ancestral home to somebody who's making rhubarb or some interesting thing that's happening on that area. So it, you, you never stop. You don't. You don't stop. It's very, very hard work. How long does it take you to make a program? Uh, three days, three days. Yeah. And and do the shops know you're coming, or do you know you're going to the, a particular shop? Yeah, well, they, they 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 ask permission for the shop. They don't go and look. They don't wreck the shop. I wish they would sometimes because some of them are not very good. But no, they they ask permission. We're the round. Can we come? Can we see? And they say, oh yeah, yeah. Some will say no. Thank you very much. Don't want that kind of publicity. But it's great for the shop actually. But we're not told, we're just ferried. We have a course sheet that says you are going to a shop in um, Preston or wherever. Uh, we don't, we're not given the address because they want it to be so spontaneous. It is spontaneous, totally spontaneous, but we are booked in to go. That's all. And Margie, when you're at the auction houses, do the are the public very aware that there's a small huddle of people with cameras on them, therefore the objects that are coming up are very obviously theirs? Do they not bid? in a slightly different way because they know it's a telly item or is it really really legit you know legit well they don't really know we just sit at the front you can tell by the hoops of delight or the howls of despair but they do they do announce in the auction house and say look if you don't want to be on the telly uh just go to the right hand side because some people say to me there's nobody in that auction room because they've all scuttled off to the right you know, not everybody wants to be seen. It's a place of business. So dealers maybe don't particularly want to have their faces. Like, oh, that's where he buys. So sometimes you just got like, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith sitting there just enjoying the event, really. But no, they don't know which, which are our items at all. They don't know which are our items. It seems to be a little bit more relaxed than the roadshow. You can't compare it to the, the great road show. I mean, that's the academic antique programme, isn't it? That's where you really learn. It's, it's, just, it's just fun. It's a feel, the, the road trip's a real feel-good programme. That's the feedback I get. You know, I get stopped and people say, oh, God, I'm so really, you can just sit back and just watch it and, and have a laugh. And, and we do. Then we could all settle down with a nice cuppa and know we're going to have a damn good evening. But, Margie, let's just give you permission now to do a huge names drop. Because you've, come on, you've worked with quite a lot of celebrities on the road trip. So tell us about the lovely celebrities you work with. There was only one I didn't like, but I had one of those James Bond ejector scenes. He'd have gone out the top of the classic. <laughs> Nigel Havers and I, we... <gasps> 
round. Yeah, we traipsed round Bath because he was, they tried to, with the celebrity thing, which came on later, they tried to sort of focus on the things that they would be interested in and the places that they're interested in going to. So he'd been to the bar, he'd, he'd played at the Bath Theatre many, many times. He was delightful. He's just as is. Is he very handsome? Oh, yeah, very handsome. I'd like to have him in my classic car. <laughs> it broke. Let me, now we had the problem in the car that I hadn't been in two minutes. Hello, how are you? And the water pouring out the bottom. It was a tiara. Who else was lovely? Zoe. Zoe Ball and her dancing partner, Ian. Oh, Ian. Oh, oh, he was delightful. We had a white E-type as well. Was that nice to drive? Yeah, and he, he was gorgeous, really. And Zoe was really good fun because they're very friendly. They'd been on, they'd been on the Strictly together they'd been they were partners on Strictly Come Dancing they've retained a friendship another favorite was Jimmy Osmond Tony Christie and Jimmy Tony was quite a quiet sort of chap when you think you know he can fill theaters and still doing he he still performs in like Germany and places like that where he's very popular that lovely voice I mean he's got a great voice he was uh, he was he was lovely and Jimmy Osmond well he, I mean all that adulation all that fame and he was the nicest and often people would go up to him and say oh you know how's Donnie and all that and he was just patient and nice and, and he, he, they, they did a really good thing they they shot Tony and Jimmy in, in the car and Jimmy just said just as long as they don't make me sing a long-haired lover from Liverpool. And then they, Catherine Southern and I were singing it in the other car. The list goes on. And did they really get into it, Marjorie? Because they certainly appear to. I mean, did they really get enthusiastic about it? Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, it's just a whole new world. They, they freeze a bit when they get into the auction house. Then they think, should I have bought that, which we all do? You know, why did I buy it? When you actually see how it works in the auction house... And then you have a few downers, like your first item loses 20 quid. They start to realise that maybe we should have all paid a bit more attention. I mean, how are you with them in the shop? I mean, because obviously you want to see what they're picking, but how much, you know, do you push and go, you know, really don't buy that salt cellar because I really know that's worth diddly squit? It's a tricky one, that. Remember, it's television. Margie, I'm going to ask you, uh, probably the hardest question. We're in the middle of this just ridiculous pandemic, snatched a year of our lives away. Our ices are worth diddly. Our pensions are worth diddly. So if I said to you, Margie, I've got a few quid in the bank. Should I invest it in antiques, painting, maybe silver or gold? What would you recommend I'm asked this a lot, and it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, I mean, at the moment, because of the, the situation that we're, we're in an uncertain financial situation, gold and silver are quite are high. You know, I mean, a gram of silver, a gram, which is tiny, is, is melting. I've just looked at my Antiques Trade Gazette this morning. £16 uh, for a gram. Well, a gram is like a drop, a little tiny drop, isn't it? Uh, 16 ounces for silver, which is normally about £10. But I think silver has gone had gone down a bit because people really can't be bothered cleaning it and i think that's climbing back now particularly 20th century silver you can find it's, it's worth more than georgian silver you know omar ramsden and even the mid 20th century silver mate silver uh, designers like stuart devlin he's done and sadly i know it's a terrible thing to say but you know stuart's just died which which you know, and he's got a massive amount of, you know, the, the stuff he churned out. I mean, I collect Stuart Devlin silver. Gerald Benny, he's passed on. Well, 
the fact that they've passed on and gives it that little bit of extra kudos. But I hear that books have been doing really good business, paintings, interior designer things. People have been online buying at the auctions online, virtually seeing things online, interior stuff, mirrors, lamps, things like that, books. Furniture is climbing back, but that's been, you know, that, that's been in the doldrums. So it's very difficult to say, but I think silver has taken a dip and it's coming back up again. And that's my thing anyhow. I love to buy silver. So you just got to keep your eye on, 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 on the auction houses, on in the antique shops, and just buy what you like, really. But, you know, it does fluctuate terribly. So, you know, it's very hard to give that advice. I mean, Scandinavian furniture is doing very well. I mean, when I got married in the tea cage, that's how I got involved because my parents had lovely old furniture that they'd inherited from my grandmother who, who had bought her furniture in the 40s and been very, very clever. But Scandinavian furniture now is, is popular. That's come back, the clean lines and of sideboards, and, and they're fetching good money. And the Georgian chest of drawers goes into the sale room or a, oh, corner cupboards, disaster. 50, 60 quid for a Georgian corner cupboard. And now a teak sideboard will make four or 500 pounds when you couldn't have given it away a few years ago. So it is fashion and you've just got to immerse yourself in it a little bit yourself to see what's happening. But I'd have, a, I'd, I'd buy, start buying a bit of silver now again because it did go down and it's come back up again. So that's my advice, but it is difficult. I sometimes wonder what to buy myself really. Well, I'm going to rush along and buy a big silver medallion and hang it around my neck. <laughs> But Margie, that's just one thing I was going to say, reflecting back to the roadshow, you were on it right at the beginning, well before people had the web and, and all of the malarkey we have now. So that when people did come along with the unexpected fines, they were massive surprises, weren't they? Whereas in the last 10 years that I was with you on the roadshow, a lot of people were quite genned up, weren't they? Before they came, they almost kind of, some of them, the majority, I would say, knew a kind of a basic value of the item that they bought. Well, do you think that would be fair to say that? Yeah, but still still amazing that people don't appraise their own things. I do it myself to you. You know, you don't appraise. You've lived with something for 30 years and you, you, you don't wander around the house thinking, I wonder if that's gone up. So, it's, yeah, I think you can always be, you can be surprised because if you live with something, you don't always appreciate it. A bit like your husband. <laughs> Oh, you are. <laughs> Margie, I'm going to need to let you go because you're the busiest woman on the planet. I have, I cannot tell you how much fun I've had this morning. I knew I would. And this is so very, very generous of you to give us our time. Rubbish, my darling. It's absolutely, I've really enjoyed it. Lovely to, to, to catch up with you, Tiggy. And I'm definitely, as soon as the green light of life is back on, we're going to meet up, aren't we? Okay. We are. I'm going to come up with Jackie Dog. So, Margie, we've come to, to the end of our fantastic chat today. Um, it just leaves me to say thank you for giving us your time this morning and to say Margie Cooper, antiques expert, extraordinaire, and most importantly, good friend, thank you so much. Oh, bless you, Tiggy. Thank you very much indeed. Well, there you go, guys. That's what really happens behind the scenes of two of the most iconic programmes on the BBC at this very moment. So thank you, Margie. You were so kind giving us your time. Coming up next month, we have a wildlife photographer coming to speak to us. And he lives in this very village. So that will be exciting. Don't miss that. A few thank yous 
to my brother first of all for arranging the music and of course Jeff Varney for editing the programme. We'll see you next time and please stay safe.